Welcome back to a new series of Drill to Detail, the podcast series about the people and products driving innovation in the data and analytics industry. I'm your host, Mark Whitman, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, someone who I've been looking to have come on the show for some time now, none other than Lloyd Tabb, founder, CEO, and chairman of Looker. So welcome to Drill to Detail, Lloyd, and thanks for joining us to talk about your history and how Looker the product and Looker the company came together. Thanks, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. And so, Lloyd, for anybody who doesn't know you, um, Maybe just explain uh, the role you have at Looker and uh, just introduce yourself, really. You know, I'm, I was the uh, uh, founder, co-founder of Looker with Ben Porterfield. Um, I've been uh, a serial founding CTO for a number of years. And um, uh, uh, and basically, uh, yeah, I st- Ben and I started Looker and I've been working on it since then. So you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur. And before that, you worked at companies such as Netscape and Borland in development roles. So tell us a bit about the work you did there and how it led to the product and business that you built um, over time with Looker. Yeah, sure. You know, I've I've always been interested in programming languages. My whole career um, has been around programming languages. Um, in 87, I wrote a, a native code DBase compiler, and I worked in, um, in the languages group at Borland and databases group at Borland, uh, building, um, uh, let's see, uh, building uh, uh IDAPI, which was their uh, common database uh, interface and um, scripting languages, and I was architect on on, on DBase for Windows, and and so I um, I had been building uh, languages for a number of years, and then um, uh, I saw the internet happen and um, and built the, one of the first application servers for the web, which was gluing a web server, a database, and a programming language together, and that got acquired by Netscape, and when Netscape was about eighty people, and um, um, and so I've been doing web and database and languages for, for my whole career. After Netscape, I did a bunch of, I was CTO of a bunch of different companies. And um, essentially every time I was at the company, what was what was important was getting everybody to understand what was going on in data. So I ended up building a lot of data tools there too. So that's, that's, that's kind of how I got to Looker in the first place. So a language is something you've always been interested in. Yeah, you know, um, Noam Chomsky talks about uh, language as thought. Um, the idea is that you can't really have a thought if you don't have words for it. You can have feelings, but but they become thoughts when you actually can put words to them. Um, and different languages are good at expressing different types of thoughts. Um, so you know, I uh, you know, uh, French is the language of love, and German is often thought of as the language of precision. Um, uh, you know, there's there's this saying that Eskimos have uh, you know fifty words for snow. Um, which is actually accurate, um, and so programming languages are, are very similar. They're, they're uh, different languages are good at different things. So Go is a great distributed processing language, and JavaScript is a good scripting language, and um, um, and SQL is, is the data languages that we're, that we're dealing with, like SQL, are are back in the '80s and '70s when they were developed. They they really haven't moved forward, and and so so Looker was was my take on on on, on bringing bringing that forward. So um, when you got to the point where uh, you formed Looker and had the original ideas behind that. What was the what was the kind of business problem you're looking to solve there? Um, that kind of I suppose was, was the inspiration for the uh, product. You know, um, and, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for a really long time, and and um, uh, even in, in college and high school. And and normally, what you want to do is make sure that you're, you understand what's happening in the business is super important. So if you're a restaurant, you pay attention to the quality of the food and the the smells and like and and if if you're retail you kind of watch the the floor traffic and what are people picking up and touching but and the internet based businesses you're you can't see anything you can't smell anything you can't touch anything you have no sense about what's going on except for data right so 
like the only way that you can really understand what's occurring is if you look at the data to see what's happening. And unfortunately, in most companies, uh, a lot of times there's a data group who's responsible for seeing, for doing all the sensing for everybody else. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I, I was doing a bunch of internet companies and I, as a CTO and the, my job would be, okay, how do I get it so that the broad audience of the company can see what's actually happening so that they can, they can understand what's going on. So I, I um, uh, in 2003, I was uh, the founder-ish of a company called LiveOps, which was the first crowdsource company. We had 30,000 home-based, tel- ultimately 30,000 home-based telephone operators, and all of our business happened on phone calls. Um, and there are lots of attributes about the phone call, like what the agent that took the call, what it was for. The um, we were we were we were answering phones to take orders, basically. And we, we wanted to know whether was the person was the agent a good salesperson? Were they upselling well? Um, so all, all of this information was happening around calls, and the company couldn't see it. Like people were typing SQL queries into into a, um, to try to to try to understand what was happening in calls, and they were saving SQL queries. And I was like, okay, there's a there's a better way to do this. They need to they need to be able to see what's going on. So I built a special purpose tool around call data that let people kind of figure out what what was happening, whether agents look at calls bucketed or, or um, and and then drill in and listen to the and listen into the phone calls. Um, and you know, it, it, it basically enabled the company of 300 to um, manage 30,000 operators um, at scale without actually being able to see or know them or know anything about them, except that being able to see the data and listening to calls. Um, and then I did another company called Luminate, where we where ad tech was the same problem. What was happening with the ads that we were running, and um, another a staffing company where we we're trying to figure out what was happening with staffing, and. Every time I would build these tools, and I realized, well, there's a there's a there's a thing here, a general purpose thing here to let people understand what's going on in data, and so that was the premise for founding Looker. So what I find find interesting about Looker and the success you've had is certainly back in 2003, there was no shortage of analytic databases and BI tools out there that would have had a business model layer, and you could argue, I guess, that this is a kind of sole problem, really, in some respects. So why do you not see the likes of you know, Oracle Business Objects, Cognos, and so on, even Click and Tableau, being used by startups and SaaS businesses today? You know, what, what was it that was out of step with those products or missing from them that means that you know, your product came along and met a new need? You know, um, uh, sensory input uh, and latency are two really importantly related concepts. So um, latency is how long it takes for you to underst- to get the signal so, like the latency, if you're if, if if the Mars rover is sending something back, it takes what seventeen minutes for to get for the signal to get here. So it becomes very difficult to drive the rover on Mars because every time you turn the wheel, you have to wait seventeen minutes for the wheel to actually turn, right? So you can't really drive with a, a car with seventeen minute latency. You need basically sub second latency or to be able to to operate a vehicle, right? Um, businesses are pretty similar. Most tools are built. Most most reporting tools are built about what happened. They're, 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 they're focused on like the past, what happened yesterday. So the latency can be a day and that's okay in a brick and mortar business, but that's not okay when you're, when you're trying to figure out what's going on right now and do something about it right now. What didn't ship today? Uh, the latency on that report needs to be minutes, not, uh, or seconds, not hours or days, right? Because you need to be able to react, react to it to serve your customers. So the old tools are really about what happened and, um, the, what I needed to build was about what's happening now so that you can actually, so that you can, so that the latency is as close to zero as possible. 
So when you talk about latency, are you talking about how fresh the data is or are you talking about the time it takes between having an idea and uh, a problem to be solved and actually getting things on screen? No, it's how fresh the data is. Like you, you need to be able to, so Looker originally operated on transactional databases. We, you know, our original customer base were uh, like Hotel Tonight, ThreadUp, um, um, you know, and what they were doing was they had everybody in the company had email open and Looker open so that they could figure out what was going on in their business. Instead of having the engineering team build custom tools so that they could see what 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 the remnant hotel rooms were for this for, at this particular moment, they could use Looker to do it, right? And so it was much cheaper to build those interfaces. And and to to this day, a lot of people actually run their businesses on Looker by because it it you can connect to both the transactional database, which gives you up to the second. Low, zero latency in the data, as well as um, um, you know your analytical stuff, which gives you what ha- what happened yesterday and that kind of thing. So both 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 access to both kinds of data is super important. And so, how much of a role did the disruption in the market that these elastic databases, uh, such as Google BigQuery and so on, Redshift um, arriving in the market, you know, contribute to the opportunity that Looker got to get its growth? Yeah, you know, I mean, transactional databases like Postgres or or or, or, or MySQL will cap out at about 10 million rows in a query before it gets to be too painful. So you're constantly trying to trim down. And it, it really depends, on, of course, on the number of joins because, uh, you know, it's, it, it, but, 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 but a scan of 10, 000, of 10 million rows in a query is about all you'd really want to do in a transactional database. But if you're doing less than 10 million transactions in a day or, you know, or in the, in the interest period, it, it actually works just fine. Um, it, to really understand like trends or what's going on, you need to be able to look at a billion rows and and so um you know the the, the red shifts and the big queries and the and the um you know the snowflakes of the world are great at really dealing with large data sets allowing sql access to large data sets and what they what they're really great at is relating lots of different data sources together in a way that gives you um like 360 visibility on what's going on or what happened so you can relate that to your transactional data as well as build the digests about what happened to so it's pretty amazing what you can build with all this stuff. So what did the first iteration of Looker look like? The minimum viable product that got traction with customers and pro- proved that you solved a real business need. Was it the core SQL generation engine? Um, was LookML there, for example? You know, What did the first iteration of the product look like? It, it looked like the Explorer interface in Looker. So it it was the, it, it was the Explorer Looker the the Explorer interface with a couple of visualizations, and so what we did was there was LookML was the first thing that was built, and the Explorer was the second thing that was built, um, and uh, that was the MVP. Um, the uh, actually that and then and then per, uh, persistent drive tables came right. So so basically the MVP I think would be the per, the, the drive table system, the persistent drive table. So the ability to, to transform the data, the ability to you know query through an Explorer. And um, um, yeah, and 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 then and some basic visualization was the was the MVP. So let's talk about the data modeling language, LookML. Um, to my mind, probably the most I suppose distinctive or, or kind of differentiating feature of Looker compared to um, other BI tools I've worked with. You know, it's quite a different. You've taken quite a different approach to um, how to build out the metadata in your your system and the kind of the business model and so on there. Um, and what, what kind of um, what uh, what was the story behind this, and why did you go down the route of creating a new language and a layer of abstraction over SQL and the underlying relational databases that you source data from? Yeah, so SQL SQL is not reusable. Um, SQL is a lot like a, a lease. 
I don't know if you know if you ever had a like it's a lease and if you want to if if you want to lease another apartment where well, you copy the lease and you make some changes to it and so it has this generational problem which is that you start with the first lease and by the 10th lease it doesn't look anything like the first lease and if you want to change some clause in the lease you have to go to all the all the leases and change the causes, right? The clauses. There's no reusability in it. It's a copy. It's a copy metaphor, and um, um, and it so it, it it lacks reusability and decomposition that we take for granted in all these other programming languages. So LookML was designed to basically decompose SQL in a way that would be reusable, and so the, and so that anybody could query it um, because all of the the pieces of the query were decomposed in a way that it, it was reassemblable by a regular business user. Right. So, so, um, and so the, the, the composite forms of, of it are scalar computations, which are dimensions. These are things like first name plus last name. You don't want to look at, you know, in the database, it's stored as a first name and last name. But when you look at it, you want to see they're just, the, you, you want to see Lloyd tab. So you want to see a concat with a space in it. Right. So, so that allows you, that's a, a, a scalar or a dimensional calculation. There's another kind of calculation, um, which is a measure. Looker, Looker calls a measure, and a, me a measure is an aggregate calculation. It's an it's a it's when you take a couple of several several rows in the database and combine them using a function like sum. And the the simple the really the simple case would think would be like say revenue, and revenue might be the sum of all of the all of the order value, order item prices and less the shipping costs. So that would that might be your total revenue in a retail. Um, and LookML allows you to define that in one place in the model. Um, um, uh, with just those two things, you can actually build up lots of queries. Uh, with just, just those two things and the ability to filter the data, you can look for you know, total orders by person in the last month, and you would grab the dimension of uh, the, the, the person's name, the total revenue, and you'd filter on the order created date of the last month, and that would produce that Looker, Looker could then write a query from that, and it would be totally reusable. And if you changed the revenue calculation, it would change it everywhere. So there's a governance layer that lets that work. Now there are other parts of, of things that are that are that are um, that are in the model also. So the relationships between tables um, is also part of the model. So like the, an orders table might have a user ID in it, and then the relation of the orders to the user table is also built into the model so that you don't have to constantly redeclare that, that relationship. And um, transformations are also in it. So um, suppose you wanted to do a customer lifetime value calculation. You could write that in LookML also as the user ID and the total order amount, using, reusing the same calculation of revenue um, to produce a new, a new table that doesn't really exist in the database, but is ephemeral and can be and used everywhere else. And that's a, um, a transformation we call a derived table. So at some point, did you, did you consider adding some form of internal uh, kind of analytic engine or um, like multi-dimensional OLAP server into Looker, the product? Um, if not, you know, how do you decide where to stop, really? You know, where to, I suppose, just use the leverage the functionality of the database or, or you know, or build things into the actual kind of server as a, um, an analytic or compute engine? Okay, so the, the, the problem with analytic engines is that they're extraction-based, right? And so if you extract the data... What happens? It's old, okay, <laughs> right? And if, therefore, it's a lot less useful, right? If you so Looker, Looker has always operated on the premise that it needs to operate against in, in very low latency situations against data, right? We we can still do these these other things, and we do we do a lot. What you we can build OLAP cubes in LookML, you, you know, use, using derived tables, but we also need to be able to relate data. Um, we so there's two things. There's one is it can't be old, and the other thing is we need to relate everything. So 
um, um, if you pull it out of the database, then um, then and you need something else in the database, you have to pull that out too. But if you operate within the database, then all of the data is completely available. So um, you know, it, it 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 becomes a movement problem. If you don't move the data, it's all available to you. And so that's the it's the hard problem we we've been working. It's it's an attitude, but we've we we worked it. Um, it creates tremendous value. But what about areas like um, so aggregate management? You know, for example, working with um, you know, BigQuery or Snowflake, um, it would be great if there was a I suppose a transparent query write engine um, or some kind of a, a way that we could automatically map the detail level um, queries against an aggregate table. For example, is that an area you think would be uh, there'd be some value there for customers? Oh sure, um, we you know I, I don't know if you know, but we've uh, I, I think Julian Hyde was on your show. He's one of the world's he, he's one of the world's best people in that area. So I'll leave the I'll leave it up to the reader. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he came on the show um, the start of last year. One of the most popular episodes actually, and I think certainly if um, yeah, I mean presumably you think there's some kind of value in this, and it's worth investing and in bringing someone in of kind of Julian's uh, caliber, really. Oh sure. Oh, for sure. Listen, I mean, interactive query speed is super important, right? And so there's there's a trade-off between freshness and speed, right? If you if you pre-compute a bunch of stuff, it comes back really fast. If you want it to be up to the second, then it can't be based on an aggregate. So we need we 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 want to operate in both worlds, and we do it very well. And we we we're, we I, I I basically don't want to talk about future plans, but I can tell you that we are very interested. So the way that uh, that Looker has, I suppose, reintroduced the idea of a semantic model to today's developers, you know, data engineers, data scientists, data analysts, um, was that was that a bit of a mission of yours? Was it something that you were quite keen to do, a central part of uh, of Looker's mission? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Looker, the, the the whole concept of Looker is around the semantic model, right? I mean, that was the, the first thing we wrote was the was the programming language. There's a very big difference between historic semantic models and LookML. Um, historic semantic models mostly were around um, pre-computing aggregates. They were about it, they were they were they were built around the fact that databases were expensive, and and slow. And so the semantic model was an optimization layer for databases. It really didn't concern itself. To, it, it concerned itself with aggregates, but only in in its effect into as as how the data was dimensionalized. And LookML is a is really a, a, a different animal, and what it what it focuses on is um, uh, is is around the query as opposed to around um, around reporting, right? So uh, the 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 other the other other you know the traditional semantic models were about around dimensional joining, uh, for you know okay, and 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 LookML is around queryability or the ability to ask questions and drill into the detail. Of what's behind it, so you know every Looker query when you get a result set, every aggregate if you click on it will show you the objects that 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 comp- it, it, it's composed of, and it's that's all possible because of the because of the relationships and the and 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 the way the data is defined in the language, and so it's a reduction of complexity um, as opposed to a. A tool, a language to be able to create reports. So most BI tools I've seen um, organize their semantic models, their metadata models around the concept of star schemas and dimensions and hierarchies and very kind of formal dimensional kind of structures. And yet with uh, Looker, you went down this idea, this route of using um, what we call an explore, um, which seems a lot more kind of freeform. I mean, tell us about some of the thinking behind the explore and um, and some of the terminology that you uh, use. Yeah, you know, we had a hard time naming what that was. Uh, you know, if, in retrospect, I would have liked to have named it a relation, 
because what it is 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 is, is a set of related objects. Um, and it's the starting point from the relation. So orders is the starting relation, but you would join in orders and products and order items and, um, you know, even uh, lead sources and, you know, uh, things like that. Um, the, uh, um, but the, but the, the, the concept of aggregation is pretty core to Looker. So you always pick with a dimension and, and then that, that you're going to aggregate the data on and then what, you want to compute and, and what you compute is entirely dynamic. Um, uh, and, and, and what's beautiful about Looker is that it doesn't, it, you can always compute accurate, accurate um, measures regardless of where you are in the relation. And that's actually been a really hard problem in SQL um, that Looker makes totally transparent to you. And a lot of times people will look at Looker and say, okay, take order, show me, show me the average user's age and the, the total revenue by state. And they'll expect it to be a weighted average user's age because a user might have ordered once or twice. But in Looker, it will calculate that correctly regardless of the join pattern. So another thing, another aspect of Looker that's, I suppose, a differentiator that seems to have really resonated with uh, with developers and engineers is the way that it adopts uh, modern software development practices um, for when you come to develop the semantic model, things like the fact you use Git for the uh, repository, um, and just generally, you know, you tend to script things. It tends to be um, you know, in alignment with how um, engineers work with um, software today. Was that again? Was that deliberate, or was that just a kind of a bit of luck, really? Uh, no, it was. You know, I learned this one the hard way. It's a pretty funny story. So I was, um, so I was at Borland, and we were building visual programming tools, like you know, uh, Visual DBase, you know, DBase for Windows, which was a visual programming environment, and there was Delphi and Visual, you know, Visual C plus plus and Borland and. And and Microsoft had uh, Visual Basic and and Visual C plus plus and and so the conventional wisdom in '95 was that if you're going to build a tool, you need a visual. It has to be a visual tool backed by some some programming languages, right? Okay, so I I I started the company that was building this application server, and I of course needed to build a visual editor for it because all programming tools had visual editors, right? This is '95, right? Um, and and so. I, when we got acquired by Netscape, I couldn't find anybody to build a visual editor for me. So I ended up being architect on Navigator Gold, which was trying to build a visual interface to, be, to build web pages, right? To build, to build so that I could build a visual interface so that I could build web applications, right? Well, of course I was wrong. Nobody who builds web pages wants a visual builder, right? They don't, they don't want PageMaker or, or you know, they, don't, they don't want the visual tools. They want to code it. And I, so I thought that, that we needed a visual builder but people really wanted to code, you know, in data, the, the, the data still thinks people want visual builders, but what they really want is to be able to express higher levels, you know, more complicated abstractions, which you need code to do. So, so, you know, everybody thought we were crazy when we were starting Looker that we were going to do it as a language based thing. But, um, but my experience said, you know, serious software people want serious software tools. And so we built the full IDE that was code based. We built, you know, the workflows that, you know, there's a sandbox development environment that you get within Looker so that you can, but, but it's all code-based and it always has been. So you said early on that the purpose of LookML or one of the drivers behind it was reusability. Uh, and there are, but there are complementary products out there and open source projects um, that kind of work with Looker or complement Looker um, that take this kind of concept a bit further. So for example, you know, DBT from the guys at Fishtown Analytics um, that takes the idea of reusability that you're talking about, but then extends it through things like templating and macros and so on to bring kind of, I suppose, quite a 
good degree of modularity there and dependency graphs and so on into into kind of the data modeling around analytics um so you know what's your view on where looker ends um and pdts and so on and you know, where does it end and where should a, maybe an external tool or external framework be used to do the kind of data modeling and so on that is associated with a uh, an analytics project um so I, eventually I, eventually we think we'd, we'd like you to stay entirely in look there there are edges that you go that you that you can fall off of but um the, the transformation engine the building transformations in lookml is amazing it's a the the, the you know when you think about uh the the, the world before looker uh, you had a data team which was responsible for grooming data and putting it in the database, right? Um, so they would they would they would build a data pipeline. It would land in the database in a way, um, and and uh, and then you'd have an analyst that was pulling from the database into an extract and using it. And um, it, the, the 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 looker world is hey, just land the data in the database in any form that you can get it in, and then build a transform in LookML to get it into the form that you need to be able to do. To, to be able to make it accessible and understandable, um, and so Looker's transformation engine, the, the derived table engine, allows you to do this in a in a in a, in a very agile way. And um, and you can also, what, you know, there's a subtle thing here, which is that um, you know you have a you have a temporary table that you're using in a tr in a in a pipeline world. It's very difficult to test a new a new version of that. But Looker, it's fully automatic. If you're in development mode and you make a change to a derived table, you get your own copy of it while you know, without risking anything that's in production. Um, and when you actually push your changes to production, um, that, that becomes the, the de facto standard and, and every, everybody's reading from that. And so it's this flow that allows you to do experimentation, which is super important in software development and then testing and then, and then deployment. Um, it, it reuses what you've built in development mode. Now, um, Sometimes you know there, there's there are limits into how big of a transform you can do. So if it takes half a day to do the transform, you probably want to pull it out of Looker and do it in something else. You know, so that's the that's the edge. Is like it's basically how long it takes to do the transform, um, and um, but you you have it you have it modeled correctly by the time you're ready to do the transform. So who do, who do you um, who do you find are the users of uh, of LookML within um, you know customer sites and organizations and so on? I mean, is it typically just developers or are you finding that analysts are you know adopting lookml as a way of um doing things like kind of um uh, retention calculations and 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 some of the more complex things some of the more complex forms of calculations you get with event-based um, analytics uh, it, you know it, it is both for sure um you know it, i mean if you look at uh, we, we have a very large payments company where everybody codes in lookml like they have a tremendous number of people coding in lookml um and they've, you know, a, 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 a workflow of working on branches and then making pull requests and, you know, um, and shared models. And so it really depends on the organization. It's like, how do people use Python? Well, they use it very different ways in different companies, right? It's a tool. And there are def definitely different cultures of, of, of working. So there are, there are organizations where there's only one or two people who are doing LookML development, and they answer questions and send, you know, links back to dashboards and looks, so that are, which are query results. Um, so that, that that people can get their answers their questions answered, um, or there are organizations in which everybody's actually coding in LookML, and um, so it's it, it really varies based on 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 culture data culture within the within the organization and what they're trying to achieve. So I'm conscious that you um yeah moving on a bit here I'm conscious that you can't really speak about specifics with uh with the product and where it's going in the future but um what's your vision really what's the vision um for where the product goes things like um package applications i think is an area you said you're looking at 
Um, you've also got the kind of concept of look at the the platform as well. Um, what are your thoughts about um, where you want the platform and where you want Looker to go in the uh, the future? So you know the the core of data is is it accurate, right? And so um, uh, it's let's see. So raw data is pretty is not very interesting. Raw data is is everybody has to make their has to build it up to something to use it's basically raw sensory input um but then but but once you once you once you've built a model around it you know what's good and then that can be shared in a lot of things so like for example um you know about a quarter of our business comes from people building things out of looker using looker as a platform today and they've they've been doing it since the beginning so we have we have people whose companies run with Looker as the core thing that they provide, and the logins to 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 the data that they provide to other people is Looker, um, and you know, so that's always been a big part of our business. What we are do, what what we we have a um, so packaging applications that can be installed into your Looker are is a big part of what we're doing and what we announced to join. Um, but uh, but also the ability to deliver data in you know it's it's able, able, the ability to digest data from external sources and deliver it into things that you that where where you are. So like we have a, a Slack bot, for example, where you can actually use a command line interface looker to, to pull data into a Slack channel. Um, there's all kinds of things that we're doing that allow data to be used in the place you are rather than coming to looker for it. So on that point, um, one of the things I, I think I said to you in the past, actually, um, that I really like about looker is the fact that it's not, you know, you, you aren't part of a kind of larger mega vendor, you know, with lots of ERP and CRM systems that, that yeah, there's to the point then when all your product development ends up being just integrations with those with those uh, those products. But I suppose the other part to it is that analytics is at its most effective when it's part of a workflow and and when it does integrate in with with applications and, and processes and so on. So yeah, again, what's your thoughts on um, what's your thoughts on Looker's role as a kind of part of an analytic workflow and uh, as part of a wider set of kind of business processes, really? You know, um, you know, Looker, Looker has always allowed you to embed the results in in other applications. In fact, the largest one of the largest CRM companies in the world internally uses Looker to embed it in their own CRM. <laughs> okay, um, you know, it's it's <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's uh, the um, the ability to take a piece of data and put it into some other application has always been part of what Looker does. In fact, you know, if, if um, you know, for a long time, BigQuery was demoing their public data sets and they were embedding Looker to demo the data sets against BigQuery, right? And um, so it's, it's it, uh, so Looker, you know, the ability for you to, to, to take something that you see, every, every piece of data, whether it's a dashboard or a look or, or the results of an explore is URL addressable. And you can take that URL and embed it into all kinds of things. And so what's, the beautiful thing about Looker is that it's born of the web and, and basically all the results, everything that you're looking at is web addressable. So moving on from look at the product to you know, look at the company and the um, the company and the culture and so on you've built there, what are the kind of core values that um, that you try and live to and, and try and, I suppose, um, try and you know, communicate to everybody in the company and to customers and so on? You know, um, one of the, the core Looker value, the, the most important one is probably love Looker love. Um, and what that what that means is that we essentially we will only succeed if our customers succeed wildly, right? Um, and we have a complex product, um, and uh, we need to teach the, this complex product to to um, uh, to to our customers. And so we need to have nice people who are smart 
who are safe or who who people feel safe around, right? And feel comfortable asking questions to. And in the company, we also have another value called the kitchen table, which is that basically there's no dumb question. And you can ask as many times as you want. And whenever somebody asks you a question, you stop and answer it. And um, so it requires to be hungry, nice, smart people who are helpful um, because that's what it takes to teach a world a, a new way of looking at data. Um, I have a really smart friend who once told me that uh, in order to learn a, a, new pro- a new language, spoken language, you have to be willing to appear stupid. Um, and the same thing is with a programming language. You have to be willing to accept that you don't know it. Like, and, and we, so the way we do support, which is, the, um, you know, we have uh, analysts that are available on chat to answer any question and they sit around a table and they will answer any question um, as no matter how complicated and you'll get a good answer. We don't, we don't say we don't know. It'll, it'll, um, and it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So that's the, the, the helpfulness and the whole company is centered around that. I mean, we, we knew that we had to do this to succeed. Um, we built the we built the culture around what it would take to s- make the company succeed. We couldn't, you know, there are other companies that didn't necessarily, you know, the sales organization. It's it's a it's a helpful driven culture. And um, I see you you're also quite a keen cyclist as well. Um, I saw I think I saw an article once where um, you know you take your bike to to, to work. You, know, you lead um, <clears throat> you lead uh, cycling kind of uh, cycling groups going out from uh, from the offices there. Yeah, I suppose how much is um, health and um, uh, work-life balance important to you and to uh, to Luca? Yeah, you know, um, um, I always say that a good life is a series of good days. Um, you know, and hopefully, if you're working at Looker, this will be your best days. Like, there's there's no reason that you when you work here, it shouldn't be your best days. Um, and so, you know, we take work-life balance really seriously, and we want you to be well-rounded and enjoy yourself. And that that it, uh, you know, my my goal is that Looker is the best place you ever work. Um, and and so it means that you get to do things that 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 are part of life. So I I, I love to bike. I, I it's my 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 happy spot. So I share that with others. So Lloyd, just to finish things off, just tell us about the joint events that are happening in the next few months around the world. You know, um, so uh, you know when people come to interview at Looker, I always say there's tremendous amount for you to learn. There's, we, we, what we do is really interesting and powerful, but it takes, it, it, it takes education. And so join is about c- coming, learning about how other people do it. Um, you know, you're, we're inventing a new way to do, to look at data, um, you, you know, and, 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 um, and it's a great place to come get educated, to learn, to see what the best practices from other, what other people are doing. Um, um, you know, it's a, we're, we're all exploring the future together. But it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for for you know your your insights and your kind of <clears throat> the backstory really around uh, Looker you know how it came about and uh, and where it's going. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, and- uh, just just a comment on that last thing is you know uh, Margaret Rosas, uh, who runs our Department of Customer Love, our support team, told me very early that we'll be successful when we have a thousand true fans. And enterprise software with fans is like kind of an oxy. It's, it's kind of an oxymoron to a degree, right? And you know, and we do. We have fans. I love the fact that we have fans that 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 people love that that, that Looker makes people more powerful, and they love both the company and the product it, it, that's that 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 makes me super happy so anyway